We're going to be in Acts 14, if you want to turn there. And we're just about to finish up this section. I'm going to start with verse 21. So Acts 14, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven, our God. And when they had appointed elders for them in in every church and prayed and and fasting, they continued, committed them to the Lord and whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went on to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, and they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. And now he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and there remained no little time with the disciples. So I came across this little story about a child remembering their, something with their dad back when they were in third grade. And she wrote this, she says, When I was in third grade... One evening, I was solving math problem, you know, in my homework with my mom. Now, that's pretty typical back in our household. And so far, my my kids would all be like, you could be speaking to us. And sure enough, because Lori did the bulk of the homework, you know, with the kids, right? Anyway, she goes on to say, like any other child, I wanted to go down and play with my friends instead of Uh, dividing complex fractions. But my mom refused to let me go down and play and insisted that I should finish my homework first. Again, this could be my, you know, family. My kids could all be echoing similar thoughts. And I bet they really would be saying that to what she says next. So with teary eyes, I continued doing my homework. Later, when my mom went to the kitchen to start Preparing dinner, my dad saw me crying, and he came over and solved my problems. (laughs) We made a deal that he would finish the rest of my homework so that I could go down and play with my friends. After my playtime was over and I came back up, I was surprised to see my mom angry and scolded me anyway. Not because she found out that my dad had helped me secretly, but because all of my problems were wrong. (laughs) Oh, boy, let me tell you, my kids are like, you sure that wasn't about us? Anyway, we won't get into any further than that. But how how does a dad measure success? That's what I want to talk about with with what we just read in God's Word. We're going to blend this uh, part of Paul's journey. We are going through the, the journey of Paul. We're going to talk about this in a way that we can apply it to dads, but in, in reality, you can apply it 
to moms. You can apply it as a child, um, as a youth worker, as anybody that wants to be effective. How can we be effective as dads is what we're going to talk about. But you can apply that in your situation. So if you're a mom, how can I be effective as a mom? If you are a child, how can I be effective as, as a kid? Uh, how can I be effective as a youth worker? You get, you get the idea. But thankfully, uh, how we measure a dad's success is not by our homework skills, or I would be in big trouble. Um, but here's the first thing that we see in our scripture that will answer how we can be effective dads. And that is in verse 21. And it is, effective dads offer instructions. That's what we do. In fact, effective in anything spiritually, we offer instructions. Look at verse 21. It says, they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of his disciples. They preached. What is preaching? It is persuading. Part of what I'm doing up here is I'm trying to persuade you to listen to God or to go God's way or, or to do it God's way. Uh, I am proclaiming, you know. And Paul felt this this great burden about him to go and persuade people, to go and to proclaim this good news to people, to try to get them to come to their senses. And he cared enough about his relationship with God, but he also cared enough about the people out there that he wanted to preach to them. And so that's what he did. Uh, He knew what was at stake. What he knew was not at stake was his own salvation, because that was already dealt with and taken care of, right? So he's not out there preaching to earn salvation. He's out there preaching so that people can find salvation, okay? That's really important for us to understand. Their salvation is what was at stake, and Paul cared enough about their salvation that he preached to them. Now, we talked about this the other day or a few weeks back, but what is it that persuades us to preach or to teach? We find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, because Paul tells us this. He says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. He goes on talking about that we are ambassadors of Christ, right? And God's making his appeal through us. But we have to, we have to be, like, motivated by the love of God. And so when Jesus comes and he saves us, it motivates us to want to share that good news to others. And that's why Paul is doing what he's doing right now. He realizes they need it. So Paul didn't preach for his own salvation. He's already found his salvation on the road to Damascus. I found my salvation on the road to outside of Galesburg, Kansas, driving home from the ammunition plant. And I don't know where you found your salvation, but your salvation is already secure in Jesus Christ. Our salvation is secure. So why would we bother to preach to anybody? Because maybe their salvation isn't, or maybe their salvation needs to be encouraged, or they just need to be encouraged. But that's why Paul is doing what he's doing, is what I'm getting at. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect our salvation in some way. And let me tell you what I, or show you what I mean. In 1 Timothy 4.16, this is what it says. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will both save yourself and your hearers. And so it's like, it's like, it's not that it doesn't have value, though, because when we are preaching or teaching other people, especially our children, by the way, it's helping us, too. You know, it's helping us, too. 
I have to be careful about what I preach. I don't know, I shouldn't say it that way, because I'm not careful about what I preach about, but I have to be careful how I live because of what I preach about. Do you see what I'm saying? It, there's something that you all help me with because I'm up here preaching to you. And so it does help my, me with my relationship with God. It does help me with my salvation. It doesn't secure my salvation. My salvation is already secured in Jesus Christ when I gave my life to him. But it helps me stay on the right track. It helps me stay in his abiding in him as he abides in me kind of thing. And so Paul gets some benefit from that. And we will get benefit from the fact that we are instructing our kids. You see where I'm going at with this? It's really important for us to understand that if you want to be an effective dad or a mom or, or effective kid or effective youth leader, whatever you want to put that in, but in today we're putting it in the context of dads, then you have to be somebody who teaches and instructs. Why would you do that? Because you care about the people who you are teaching and instructing, just like Paul cared about who he was teaching and instructing. And it helps them. We, we don't preach and teach for our own salvation, but it plays a part. So we preach to save others. We preach because God's love, Jesus' love, compels us to share it. Now, how does that make us effective dads? Well, Proverbs 22, verse 6, pretty much clears it up for us. We teach our children because, first of all, they are our first and most important audience, are they not? Out of all of the places that you could go and preach and teach and and instruct people, who are the most important people that you do that for? It is your kids. And this is what Proverbs 22, verse 6 tells us. It says, train up your child in a way that they should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I don't know about you, but I'm counting on that, right? I am counting on this to be gospel truth, when it is gospel truth, by the way. But are you guys counting on that? Say amen if you are. Yeah, we are counting on the fact that God's Word tells us that if we spend time instructing, preaching to our kids, you know, they're always saying, don't preach to me. Don't listen to that. Just preach to them anyway. You preach to your kids because we are counting on that it is going to pay off in the long run. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19 through 21, it says this, You shall teach them to, your, teach them to your children, talking to them. Now, what, what does it mean, them? It means the Word of God is what he's talking about. You should teach the Word of God to your children, talking to them about the Word of God when they are sitting at home, when you are walking by the way, when you are lying down, when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. I mean, he's like, just let them have this every chance that you can get them to pay attention for just a moment. When they're rising, when they're going to bed, when, I mean, write it on your doorpost, just Preach it, preach it, teach it, teach it as much as you can. Why? Because of what it tells us. Because your children will be multiplied in the land. It will be good for them. It'll, you know how God bless. And you know how life doesn't go so well when we go our own way and go the opposite of God. 
And we know that for our own lives, and we also fear for that for our kids' lives. The best thing that we can do for our kids, if you want to be an effective dad, is to instruct and instruct and instruct and instruct. And you know what they're going to say every time you instruct. I bet you've heard it. Yes, Dad, we know, right? That's what you always say, Dad. Okay, enough preaching. That's what they'll say. And what that means is that does not mean to shut up. What that means is you're doing a good job. That's your cue to know that this is starting to work. It's starting to sink in. If they were already recognizing that you've already said this, then that's a good thing. You can't say it too much because it's just got to be like coming in and out of their pores. I think that's why Deuteronomy says that. Like every moment, every chance you get, you are telling them and instructing them in the Word of God. You know, there's a lot of teaching out there in our world today. I'm just overwhelmed by it, to be honest with you. Appreciate it, to be honest with you also. But YouTube is probably my favorite thing on my phone. It really is. Like, I'm on YouTube all the time. I I get on there, and it already knows kind of what things I like to watch. Because on the home page, if you scroll down, it'll just start, like, having these people talking to me that's, you know, that about things that I'm somewhat interested in, not completely. But Jeremiah kind of shares my YouTube page, so I have to flip through a whole lot of baseball stuff. But other than that, you know, I'll, I'll get things like uh, Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson. Now, those guys are not Christians by the least bit, but they are talking about some things that I'm kind of interested in as far as just worldly views and things like this. And they're pretty smart guys, Right? But they are not Christians when it comes to the spiritual thing, and then there's this full of folly. But here's the thing about that. Because I am in the Word of God, and I have a relationship with Jesus, and it's pretty, pretty good, then I'm able to cipher through a lot of their folly nonsense stuff to still be able to get some of the, the stuff about, you know, just what's going on in our world and do that. The reason I say that to you is your children are in the same situation. Just think of all the instructions that is going on in a kid's life on a daily basis. It's all the same stuff that's going on in your life. They they have a YouTube channel too, I mean like a a thing on their, their phone too, and people are constantly pouring into them and guiding them and trying to convince them to do this or do that or make this decision, make that decision. They are getting this at school with their teachers and instruction. They're getting this with the peers when they are in the locker rooms and all the talk and stuff that's going on there. It is constantly being at their forefront. This is why it is so important for you to understand that they need ways to decipher this. They need us to almost wear them out with the Word of God and instructions about the way God would want them to make choices. It will pay off. So if you want to be an effective dad then you have to instruct. You can't leave it up to somebody else. You've got to do this. It's got to be your deal. Proverbs 9, 9 says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Isn't that cool? You'll just keep making him wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. And so you can't 
you can't pump them full of it enough because it'll pay off. And so that's what Paul is doing here is he is instructing these people about the Word of God and he is and right and left and right they are making disciples. But our takeaway as dad since it's dad's day is just realize that instructing is absolutely valuable. Here's the second thing, and that is effective dads must have endurance. And you can underline endurance because it is just the, it is just a fact. You have to have endurance if you're going to be a dad, and you can translate that into moms or whatever else, youth leaders, especially youth leaders that's coming out of camp. You have to have endurance. But I just want you to see where this is coming from because Paul is juggling so many things, and we already know that he just came out of being stoned and left for dead. I mean, talk about endurance just in that conversation. But look what verse 21-22 says. So they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Those, those, that's, that's not like across the street. These are like quite a ways away, and they didn't just jump in the taxi or in their car or something and head that way. They had to really put out some effort and some endurance just in, even in that right there. But this is what it says. Strengthen the disciples and encourage them to remain true to the faith. Let me tell you something, and I know that you already know that because I'm speaking to a whole lot of teachers, but it, it takes some endurance to teach and to teach and to teach and to strengthen and, and encourage and to remain true to the faith. One, one kid, or actually an adult, that was remembering back when they were a kid, wrote this during Father's Day He said, I was in third or fourth grade. Actually, it was a lady. I'm sorry. She said, I was in third or fourth grade when my mom's birthday was coming up, and I wanted to buy her a gift without her knowing about it. And so my dad came over to me, made this plan with me, and said, hey, um, how about we meet, you catch a ride, and we meet at the mall, and you can do your shopping, and then I'll, you you know, I'll pick you up and take you home. And because where he was working, this was kind of the middle part. And so they met at the mall. She did her shopping, got her mom a birthday gift. And she was super excited because this is the first time that she was going to be able to give her mom a birthday gift that she didn't know anything about. When it came time to leave, dad couldn't figure out where he parked the car. So they like were walking out in the parking lot and he just knew it was out this way, but no, they couldn't find it. So they went in the next area and they walked around. For an hour, they were walking in the parking lot trying. And if you can imagine a teenager just like, this is stupid, Dad. Why can't you remember where you parked the car, right? So he decided, you know, to let's just go get something to drink. And so they went and had a pop. And I don't know if they had something else, but they had a pop. And, and then all of a sudden, it just dawned on me, oh, I remember. When I got there, the parking lot was so full, because this was way back, you know, when parking lots and malls were full. Uh, but the parking lot was full, and I wasn't no place to park, so I parked across the street. <laughs> and I just so much, when I read that, I was just like, oh, my goodness, I can relate to that so much. And if Devin was here, I'd just be like, Devin, there's actually another person out there like us, right? Because I have the hardest time remembering I, I have probably, in any way, when, in her story, of the, what she ended with, she says, that was the last time I ever went shopping with him alone. <laughs> and I can relate to that because I have been fired from more things 
being a dad. One of them is grilling. If my kids are home, they know to not let me buy the grill. Like, you know, Lori puts up with my grilling, but the kids won't. I'm fired from it. So, so they, they take turns and they do the grilling because I usually always burn something because I'm always focused on something else and I get distracted. I don't know, easily distracted. But I also, I don't get, I, I don't have the responsibility to remember important things that need to be put in the car before we go on a trip. Um, I don't usually get in charge of remembering to pick up anybody unless I get like four you know, phone calls or texts to be reminded to go pick up, you know. I can't even tell you how many times Jeremiah is calling me. Hey, Dad, school's been over for 40 minutes. Where are you at? But here's what I'm trying to say. You know, sometimes I repeat what my grandpa, granddad used to say. My granddad used to say, if you don't want the job, don't do a good job. And so whenever I fail, I usually just say that. Well, if you don't want the job, don't do a good job. But in reality, it's not that I don't mind doing these dadly things, right? I just sometimes mess up. But here's what my kids know. Is that as many times as I have messed up, I have never given up. I continue to plug along, and I continue to endure, and I continue to hang in there. I think the only dad that is ineffective is the dad that is checked out. Just checked out, don't do, don't participate. I think that's really the only way that you can fail as a dad, is if you just don't care and you don't participate and you just are checked out. But here's what I know is that we all aren't perfect and we're going to make mistakes, but the main thing is, is just hang in there endurance. And that's the way Paul was. Think about all of the things that Paul went through. I mean, we're just barely getting started. There's three missionary journeys. We just today will be finishing the first journey here. And he's already had some crazy things happen. We know crazy things are yet to happen. But Paul saw it through. And the same thing goes for us spiritually. This is what Paul says, in fact, about our spirituality. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he's just reminding these people that the reason I hang in there is because of where I'm going and what I'm after. And I'm just going to hang in there to the end. And if Paul can hang in there for what he went through, I can hang in there as a dad. Even though I make mistakes over and over and over, I'm just going to keep plugging and keep doing the best that I can. And I encourage you to do the same thing. So I think there's a motto here, actually, in verse 22. This is what I think is the dad's motto, or at least the parent, maybe a parent's motto is, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Wouldn't that be a good motto for parents? You just have to hang in there, y'all. And even though it gets kind of rocky and tough and you get discouraged and you think, am I doing this right or doing that right? You just keep instructing. You keep preaching. But you also just keep enduring. You don't check out. You don't ever say you're on your own. I think it's okay to say that like for a 10-minute period just to take a break or something. But at some point, you got to realize, no, they're not on their own. I'm still in this. I'm still involved in this. And that's how you become an effective dad. Effective dads instruct. Effective dads have endurance. And here's the third thing is effective dads, I think, according to our scripture here, 
are intentional about whom they appoint to guide their children. That's kind of long. I just put up on the board are intentional, but I think the rest of that is super important. Effective dads are intentional about whom they appoint because that's what we are doing. Dads, we are, I mean, and, and I say this for dads, moms, okay? But parents, you are in charge on who instructs your children. You get to make that call. You get to make that choice. And, and it's an important thing to do. I want you to see this from Paul's perspective here in Acts chapter 14, verse 23. It says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord. So Paul and Barnabas at each church realized that this church needed godly leaders. They didn't, they did not just, you know, make up some kind of rhyme or something on who they end up with, you know, to find out who's going to be leaders. They didn't say who, hey, who wants this? Or let's take a vote on, you know, George over here. They didn't do that. What they did was they appointed them. Paul and Barnabas felt responsible. They felt the burden to make sure that they carefully considered who was going to oversee this congregation, this church. And they didn't want somebody just ruling over them. They wanted somebody to lead them by example. And, and their example had to be godliness. It's like we have in Timothy and Titus and, and, you know, all of the qualifications of a leader. That's where they come from because Paul understood that that is so, so, so important. Who, who are we going to let instruct and guide this church? When we moved here 22 years ago, which is, seems crazy that we've been here 22 years, but when we moved here, we, our kids were little bitty. Carrie was just started kindergarten. He was, she was in Miss Chisholm's kindergarten class. We absolutely adore Miss Chisholm, even today, just because of her experience with Miss Chisholm. Um, and, and we were just in this. We lived right across the street from the elementary school there on First Street when we first got to town. But we had this conversation that began because our kids were just there. We're like, well, what are we going to do? You know, is, is, this, is this the plan, just to, to put them into public school? Uh, we had conversation back then about, you know, homeschooling them. It wasn't that popular 22 years ago. It's way more popular today. But we had that conversation. But we also knew we had another option. See, where we used to live, there was one option. That was public school. But when we moved here, there was options. There was Tyro Christian School. So we prayed about it. We talked about it. We considered what we should do. And it just so happened, Mr. Bird called Lori and said, Hey, I heard you're a teacher. You want to come out here and teach? For us, now the reason I'm telling you this is because I'm not telling you that we did it right or wrong. I'm just telling you that we considered this stuff because we considered it important stuff. What are we going to do with these kids? Who are we going to entrust to teach and guide them? Because they're going to be majorly influencing our kids for the next many years. But to us, as soon as that happened, we just took it as a, you know, premonition that from God that this is what we were going to do so our kids went out there. But you know what? Our kids didn't stay out there the whole time. Andrew came back in here for first grade because guess who his first grade teacher was? It was Lori. 
And she had him for one year, and it didn't go so good, so he repeated first grade in here. Uh, don't read into that too much. It wasn't, it wasn't that horrible. But, uh, but that was the reality. Um, I can't remember. It seems like Micah came in here for, I can't remember what class it was. Carrie came in here for fourth grade, I remember. So I don't, I, the reason I tell you that is because just because Lori was teaching out there didn't mean that we weren't con- still thinking this. Like, who are we going to, how, we have this new situation. What would be the best situation for this situation or for this thing? Micah, when he got in high school, he went to high school all four years here. Jeremiah, when he got in high school, um, we let him go to Caney last year. He went to Coffville this year, and he's going to stay put over Coffville. Right or wrong, I don't know. I guess we'll see how this all plays out, right? But the reality is, is I, all I'm trying to impress is what Paul is doing here. Paul took the burden upon himself to appoint leaders. Why? Because leaders were important. And he knew that he just, just leaving it up to them or just randomly picking somebody wasn't okay. And that should not ever be our approach as fathers, mothers, parents of our kids. We should always be considering who are we entrusting to guide our children. And this matters not just with school. This matters with your, your kids' friends because your kids' friends are going to guide your child. It matters even with your kids' friends' parents. When I was in eighth grade back Back in the day, we lived in Illinois at the time, and in the summer, I had this friend, uh, and I had a couple friends, actually, that were, I was pretty close with for just a short period of time, one of them, long period of time for the other. But anyway, the one that I was this short period of time, we went over to his house, and we were out back. His dad was throwing horseshoes, so we were kind of throwing horseshoes back and forth, and and there's this crazy smell that I don't think I've ever smelt before. And, but the next thing I know that it was his dad offering this little bitty cigarette thing to us eighth graders, if you can imagine. Marijuana is what it was, just so you're wondering. And, and he's offering it to his son. His son is, like, puffing on it. And, of course, me and my friend are like, well, it must be okay then, right? So, anyway, he's just offering it to his friend's friends. Anyway, I bet you're wondering what I did. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you, so we'll go on. Um, <laughs> I don't even actually remember what I did. But I do know this. My parents probably didn't know that. I don't know what my parents knew. I sure didn't tell them that. But all I know is my relationship with that boy pretty much stopped after that. So they must have known something uh, in the midst of that. But the takeaway is, is that it matters. It matters that you are not only instructing your kids at home. It matters not only that you endure and you don't, you're not a checked out per parent, but it also matters when they exit the door, you're paying attention to who is instructing them outside of your little world. And that you're careful about that and you're proactive about that. You know, there's times like when we moved our kids around, we were wondering, well, what will, what will you know, Mr. Bird think? You know, because he's the administrator. We moved Micah in the, in the town and sit it out there. Or something, you know, 
we wonder what the teachers would think, you know, and stuff like that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, when our conversation were done, the only thing we decided that mattered is what we think based on what, how God is guiding us because our kids are that important. We can't raise our kids based on what we are afraid of what other people are thinking. We've got to raise them based on what we think God is thinking and what we think is best for our kids. And so I encourage you in that. Here's the, the fourth thing. And the fourth thing is really quick, and so is the fifth thing. And the fourth thing is, is just this. You repeat and rinse. <laughs> if you just do those three things, like what Paul did, you instruct, you preach, instruct and preach, you just keep teaching and preaching. You stay checked in, and you just endure, 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 because the only ineffective parent is the one that's checked out, right? And you are careful about who you are putting in charge of guiding your children. That, that, is, that is pretty much all you need to do. Now just repeat it. If you did that with number one, do it with number two, and do it with number three. When you run out of kids, just do it with the church kids. And when you run out of church kids, I mean, eventually you're going to have grandkids. Do it with the grandkids. Just do the same thing. Grandparents, preach and teach. Your grandkids, they will listen to you. They'll probably be like, okay, Grandma, we know. Okay, Grandpa, we know. Just keep doing it just like you would do it when you are, when you are a mom and dad. Same thing, over and over and over. So just keep doing those things. Each time it's a little different, though. Each time it's a little different even with each kid because each kid is a little different, aren't they? How you instruct and teach this child will be a little bit different how you instruct and teach this child. It's all the same gospel truth, but you are highlighting some different areas and, you know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, I think all of our kids wanted to come into high school. And for whatever reason, two of them got to and the other two didn't. But let me tell you, it wasn't because we're showing favoritism from one to the other. It's because we felt like this one could handle this because of his friends and the people that he associated with. And if that changed, we would have been in a heartbeat yanking either one of them out. But it, those decisions were based different because every kid is different, right? And every situation is different. And I think that, but, but the reality is every Everything was applied to the same. So you have that, but also the situation's different. Every kid's different, but we're different too. We mature, and we become, you know, a little bit different in the way that we approach this stuff too. But, but the reality is, is just repeat and rinse. Where does that come from? Look in verse 24 through 26. And in Paul's context, this is what was going on. After going through Presidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word to Persia, they went on to Atalia. Atalia. From Atalia, Talia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they have now completed. So we have just completed the first journey of Paul. But the point is, is that this is just what you will find is that they just went around this way and then they just rinse and, and repeat back again this way. 
he went back through the same places. The next time he went back, he was appointing elders and, and establishing them even more. And that's kind of a crazy thing because he was going back to the place that he almost got stoned, the place that he did get stoned. He was going back into those places and establishing those churches. And so I just think that that's really cool. But he was, he was just repeating the process. And Paul does this very well, very often. The last thing I just want you to, to see here is effective dads. This is more of a blessing thing, but they get to enjoy memories. You see, when, when you are preaching, 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 even when your kids tell you to shut up, you just keep telling them the truth, or you just keep telling the truth, relying on what God says. You train up a child in the way they go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. You're just trusting those kinds of things to be true. And you just endure through it all, and you are careful about who are instructing your kids away from the home. You repeat and rinse, and then one day you get to just sit back with other people, probably your kids and your grandkids, and you just get to soak in the memories. Now in our scripture, this is what it says in verse 27 and 28. On arriving there, what is it that they did? They gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith in the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So they just got to kick back for a long time and just talk about God and all that he did. You see, when you are committed to be an effective dad, you're going to have your kids home, and you're going to have your grandkids home, and then they'll eventually be like telling these stories like dad always preached in a way that now they appreciate the way that their dad always preached. Or, you know, these things, because some of the things that frustrated me when I was at home and young are the things that I treasure the most about my, my parents and all that they did. And today I hope that my dad is enjoying memories that are really good and fond because he was always plugged in and always doing what he did. So I have this little video just to kind of close this out. Rosemary Simmons, Siemens, is, she's a Canadian violinist, and I just want you to see it because I think it'll kind of just drive home where we are wanting to land when we're done parenting. Let's, let's look at this for a second. Precious memories Unseen angels Sent from somewhere to my Precious 
So, you don't know, you don't have a clue who those people are. But if you're like me, even though I don't have a clue who they are, I love them, right? And the reason is, like, why would, why would I like watching that? Because that's what I want. I just want precious memories that are in the Lord, right? I just want, it's, it's what I'm after. I, I think to pass down our hope to the next two generations, our kids and our grandkids, that is just what we want, and that's, that's how you, I think, how you measure an effective dad is just being able to pass down your, your faith. And, uh, and how do we do that? We instruct and preach, we instruct and preach, and we just keep doing it. Uh, we just endure, we just stay in there, we just show our faithfulness to the families, our faithfulness to the kids, and we just stay plugged in. We uh, just... We just continue to press on to the prize, and we're intentional about who is going to guide our children. And we don't just let that happen randomly. We are 
wondering who is the teacher. It, if it's not the teacher that, that has moral values and we want to change, then we do it. And we don't, we're not apologetic for this because my kids are my kids and they're that important and God has entrusted them to me. And, and we, just, we are careful about who our kids hang out with and their friends. And then we just, re, you know, rinse and repeat kind of thing. I just love how the dad, granddad, you know, is having them praying and he's having them doing these, teaching them how to farm and stuff like that. Why? Because that's what he did with his kids. Rosemary, the daughter that put this together, she, like I said, she's a violinist. And now she has these YouTube videos and all it is is about hymns because she's afraid that the churches are going to lose the hymns because they don't sing the hymns. That they're just eventually going to die out and be nothing. And so she's got this passion about her. Where did she get that passion? Remember how it started with dad in the back of the church just reading his Bible and stuff? It was something that was passed down. This is what we do. We pass down what we value the most to our kids. And so I hope, just like I said, I hope my dad is enjoying precious memories today because he deserves to have precious memories. I, I hope Lori's dad is enjoying precious memories today. Why? Because he's done all these things, just like my dad has done all these things, and they deserve to have them. And that's what we want in life. And when we become grandparents, we just keep doing it. We don't stop doing this kind of thing. Let me pray, and then we'll move on. Father God, thank you so much for today. We thank you so much, Father, for just what we learned from Paul and his journey, how he did this for your church, your bride, because you meant so much to him, and how much, Father, we can just learn to apply it to our lives. Help us just to be more effective in our parenting, in our work with kids in any way, shape, or form. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Got a question for you. What's the difference between Abba and Father? And don't say one's a Swedish rock pop band. Because <laughs> that has nothing to do with Aramaic word Abba. Well, they are both referencing to dad. Abba um, in Aramaic is uh, uh, more recognized as daddy um, or papa. And, uh, or as... Uh, which which tickles me because that's that's what the grandkids. I'm Papa uh, Papa Greg and and uh, except for Elisha, it's just Pop, which I love because Leon Bill, my grandfather, was known as Pop Bill, so it's kind of kind of cool. And Elisha's middle name is Leon, so you know it's it is those those things that come around that we're, we're then, uh, we're again, and it's, and it's part of who we are. But at what point in your life did you stop calling your dad, uh, daddy, and started calling him dad or father? You know, the reality is that, um, and that we should never lose this 
concept of, of daddy or papa. And uh, it, this is scriptural. Um, if you go to Romans 8, if you have your Bibles and you uh, want to go there, uh, in Romans 8, um, <clears throat> we're reminded not to forget <clears throat> that childlike um, uh, relationship we have uh, with our Heavenly Father. Um, and so it becomes, um, uh, between Abba and Father, it's, a, it's an issue of dependence and responsibility. Because our dads or our fathers taught us those things that we're positive about. But we also sometimes use that in a negative way. When you're not happy with the way um, dad is behaving for whatever reasons, it's not daddy, okay? So it, it's kind of an interesting um, thing to think about. But in, in Romans 8, uh, starting with verse 12, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who, have, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. <clears throat> a comedian recently, and we just talked about this in Sunday school, talked about at what point did, uh, did Lucifer quit, fall, quit calling God Father? And being a comedian uh, in light, he says probably when, because uh, the Bible doesn't tell us how old Lucifer was when he uh, defied God, right? Uh, the comedian believes it's probably around the age of 15 or 16. Definitely a teenager. Okay. And we know the worldly uh, truth of that. You know, our kids will rebel against us. Um, but I, I know a lot of people, more ladies than men, who as adults still refer to their dads as daddy. And that's such a, that's such a good thing. Most of us guys, it's dad. Dad's about as, as personal as we get. Um, but when we talk to our Lord, our Creator, we need to remember that uh, uh, He is our uh, omnipotent Father. He is our all-powerful Dad. He is our most loving Daddy. Or Abba. 
So as we go into prayer, and remember that uh, uh, our Father loves us so much that he would send Christ for us to, to give us that uh, forever uh, open door uh, to pursue him, to have that relationship um, for us to be his children. Now let's pray. Gracious God, Abba, what an extraordinary privilege it is to call you Father. How great, grateful we are that through Jesus you have invited us into this relationship. It's an interesting concept that your son enables us to be your child as well. We just thank you so much great and glorious Father, for this relationship that we have through, with you through Christ. Help us grow in that relationship. May we run to you as a young child runs to his daddy, enjoying that security and the embrace. And may we also live our life out in a respect as you as our Father God. Thank you so much for the Spirit that you have also provided to us through Jesus and allows us the gift that we have been given through the Spirit. Father, we just uh, uh, praise you so much and we just love you because you are our Abba and you are our Lord. Father, we just pray these things in your great and glorious name. Amen.